lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Welcome to a special evergreen edition of the Steve Dace Show. Who knows what day this will actually run. If we'll even still be in this studio. If we'll even still be employed here. But... Yes, this is a special evergreen edition of the Steve Day Show. That would be me, Totters, and you're here too. Still. Aaron McIntyre, you're here as well. Who knows if either of us will still be employed? That's true. I mean, given when we recorded this, you guys could all be fired. So could I by the time this runs. And they're just that desperate to fill airtime that they plug us back in, right? Or everybody wanted to laugh. But this is, as I've said now for the third time, a special evergreen edition of the Steve Day Show. You're going to get new content here for the next two hours. We just don't know when you will ever actually see this. So some of our references may seem dated or very general um, because we're trying to avoid being being even more dated. But rest assured, I I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation here today because it's, it's one we've thought about doing for a long time. Pardon me. And um, given everything we've all been through here the last few years, I I think that whenever this eventually runs, it's going to seem like providential that today was the day people needed to hear this, right? Yep. So the, the topic today will be, and of course, we always love to know what you think about what we think. I'm just going to give the email address. Because I have no idea what social media platforms will exist or we will still be allowed on when this runs, okay? So you can email us, steve at stevedace.com. Pardon me, I just finished lunch and then used mouthwash, so now i got to clear my throat. steve at stevedace.com, that's D-E-A-C-E, to let us know what you think about what we think on today's special evergreen episode. Well, now I know why they call it the best-selling Eden Pure Thunderstorm Air Purifier because this is one of our partners I've gotten the most positive response about here in the last few months. Several of you have tried it, cannot believe the results that you have seen. That's why they've sold over a quarter of a million of them. That's why they have tens of thousands of five-star reviews, odors from litter boxes, trash cans, smoke, dirty diapers, and more. No match for the powerful thunderstorm air purifier from our friends over at Eden and pure better yet it is filterless so you won't be switching out filters out of your own pocket or your, your own labor for the time that you own it shipping is free and shipping is free when you go to edenpuredeals.com that's edenpuredeals.com and use the discount code steve at edenpuredeals.com shipping is free that's edenpuredeals.com and use the discount code steve at edenpuredeals.com Today, we have chosen our 10 most inspirational scriptures. And the way this is going to work is I chose four. Todd and Aaron have each chosen three. We're going to go round robin around the room, everybody taking turns, sharing the scripture, then why we find it inspiring, and we'll discuss it together. And that's what we're going to do here for the next two hours. So no matter what is going on in the world right now, we're going to get a T.O., baby. They were to put focus back on the the kingdom still to come and the world still to come and the things that are of more eternal significance than whatever 
trials and struggles we are confronting at the time that you will eventually watch or listen to this. All right, now, how hard was it for you two to come up with your lists? Or did you guys have these things like at the ready? Definitely not at the ready. And I think if I had to make the decision on whatever day you're watching this versus the day I actually you might have had a different it, list. It might have been yeah. a different list. Yeah, I can see that. I just chose <clears throat> Jeremiah twenty nine eleven three times. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Very trinitarian of you, Aaron. <laughs> Dude, that would have been hilarious if you'd not ha- would not have told us that that's what you did, and then we went to you three times, and that is exactly what you did. <laughs> that actually Damn. would have been a. a, a masterful level. You would have allowed it? Yes, because it's a masterful level of trolling. I know why he's doing it. Because as we pointed out before, Jeremiah 29 11 is quoted at every Christian kid's graduation party or ceremony. And of course, it's just, it's just never in context. You know, I mean, it's, it, 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 there's this, the reason why this verse stands out is because the rest of this chapter and the chapters that precede it, God is, you know, daddy has taken his belt off and is spanking the Israelites with some pretty harsh rebuke and judgment. And then this verse 29, 11 comes out almost as if, you know, Abba realizes, I just, I don't want to totally crush my people. So let me give him a little nugget here before we go back to the scathing rebuke. See the sun? It's still out there. You yeah, can still see this. Yes. And so we have a tendency to just skip all the rebuking and all the scathing that's going on around this verse and just skip right to this verse. Uh, not realizing it's a it's a broken road to get to that verse, right? Okay, so we're going to try to do this in context as best as we can here on the show. We're, we're going to share the scriptures with you. I, I want to apologize to the 75 of you that will be emailing me for using the NIV. That was not my call. It was Aaron's, all right? That was just what popped up on Bible and Gateway I'm, I'm first. I'm sure that's what happened, yeah. but... but um, I'm going to be getting angry emails about using the politically correct watered down translation. And frankly, I agree with you, but um, in the interest of time, we just went with what popped up. Okay. So there now, you go. Is it, is it weird that my mind kept going to dark places too? I was like, I forgot that it was inspirational. It's just like, everything was like, smite them. That can be inspirational. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I mean, Lord like, smite my enemies. Yes. I mean, that, that could Given some of the times we've gone through the last few years, that can I can be heavily inspired yeah, by some smiting. I was very imprecatory. I mean, I, one of mine, I've got an entire chapter that we're going to go to here uh, at some point during the show. And there's a, there's a lot of smiting going on. Okay. There's some smiting. There's some hair pulling. There's some punches thrown. Good. I mean, we're going to throw down here. Good. Okay. All right. So are we ready to go? You bet. All right. Let us begin. I will go first. This is my first one. We go to Romans Chapter 8, verses 18 through 31. And these are the words of St. Paul. He writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hoping that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time, groaning with sin. That's what Paul's talking about, our sin. 
Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, meaning that there's a conflict raging here, that, that inwardly we are renewed because of our salvation. We know what sin is. We know that sin is bad. We, we don't want sin, but the flesh that we are still tangled to in this mortal coil still desires it and gets the better of us, which causes us to groan inwardly at some of our own actions. In the previous chapter, in, in Romans 7, Paul famously says, the good I want to do, I don't. The evil I don't want to do, I do. What a wretch am I who will save me from this? So this is a continuation of that theme. For in this hope, that eventually our bodies would be redeemed as our souls have been. In this hope, we, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. That's the very definition of faith. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love them, who have been love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is an expression of the sovereign, the ultimate sovereignty of God. That God is capable of redeeming redeeming anything, no matter how bleak, no matter how dark, in accordance with his ultimate purpose. And ultimately, that is redemption and reconciliation and restoration. That's the ultimate purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. More discussion here of the ultimate sovereignty of God. God is initiating everything. God is initiating and therefore completing all of this work. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He began began the work. He will therefore complete the work. What then, Paul says, after this eloquent expression of the sovereignty of God, which just ought to feel like a, I mean, a Gettysburg Address, for a believer. Paul then concludes in light of these words, what then shall we say in response to these things? And his conclusion just sticks the landing. If God is for us, who can be against us? If the God that made all these things to happen and causes them to happen is doing them for our benefit, according to his purpose, what should we fear? How can we lose? I remember one of the one of the early times I went out to speak at a church publicly about my faith and my oldest, Anastasia. Anna, she's, well, an adult now. She was a little girl at the time. Coming, and she came, she used to love to go with me on these events when I'd go speak at, the, at churches and stuff here around Iowa. And on the, on the road back, she said to me, hey, daddy, you said a lot about doing things for the will of God and that God ultimately does things to bring glory on himself. Now, she didn't quite put it that way. She was like seven, okay? So I don't want to be one of those social media hacks 
Now, my three-year-old asked me what I thought about CO2 emissions. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, but I'm, I'm putting it in terms of what she actually meant, that, that her mind was trying to process at that age. Fair? Yeah. And she says to me, she goes, I mean, God seems kind of selfish to me. You're always telling me not to be selfish. And God wants everything to be about him, everything we do to be for him. Isn't that selfish, Daddy? And driving down the road, um, I immediately, after she asked this, said, I'm sorry, honey, can you say that again? Mainly because I wasn't sure how to answer that up front. So I needed some time. So I bought myself some time. (laughs) And when she posited the question again, it came to me. How to answer her. And I said, Princess, when you're selfish with your little brother and sister, who does that benefit? So I said, when, when you don't want to share what you have with your little brother and your little sister, who does that benefit? And she said, well, me. I said, when, when God is, as you defined it, selfish, wanting things to be for his glory and for his purposes, who does that benefit? And she thought about it for a second. And you get, I mean, I could see the light bulb come on over her pretty little face. And she said, us? And I said, yeah. See, when you act of your own accord, when you act on your will, it's to benefit you. That's the very definition of selfless, selfless, selfish. When, when God acts on his accord and to his glory, it benefits us. With the most obvious example of this being taking on human form to live among us, breathe among us, eat, feed, relieve himself, sleep among us, and then take our sin upon himself. And he's ultimately lifted up, resurrected, and to, for his glory, but... but Ultimately, who benefits the most from that? We do. Because we're, we're given everlasting life by him taking, his, him taking the initiative upon himself. And that's the difference between him and us. And I think Paul, in what I find to be one of the most inspirational, stirring portions of all of Scripture here, I think in these 13 verses in the, in the 8th chapter of Romans, just sums up the entirety of the hope we have as believers. Uh, I need to footnote this by saying at the time we did this, we're in the heart of COVID, which is probably just assumed by now because we're in the heart of COVID for months upon months upon months. But this particular passage and others in why I became what before we had ever heard of that a anti-faxer had to do with a lot of all creation groans, and it's not just that I, I, that applies to me, but how much people people these days modern Christians have a hard time understanding truly what sin did because we're so poorly catechized all creation every inch of it. Yes. Was infected with that. Yep. That's the true virus. Yes. Yes. And therefore, I, I came to an understanding and that our modern ways, particularly as it applies uh, to science and medicine, 
while they are certainly good, they have the potential to be turned into the worst sort of idols. You know, we kind of think as a kid, well, the Nazis, that's history. I mean, there's still people alive now. But we, that somehow, we are the people, we get that lie in our head. We're the people we've been waiting for. And this does not all creation groans. Every single inch of it. And the minute you start lying to yourself about that is the minute you will have lost nearly everything, whether you understand that or not. Because you cannot understand the sacri atoning sacrifice of Christ, ultimately, unless you understand the true weight of sin and why he was sweating blood. All of the cosmos was at stake, and he alone could rectify how deep the cancer went. Well said. Very well said, Todd. Um, the, the, the flourish at the end. Hmm. Good way to describe it. Uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? That is... That is all, that's also taken out of context or thought about maybe out of context so many, so many times because we forget about what Todd just said. Yes. If God can be for us, who can be against us? I'm a Christian. God's, 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 that's basically the shallowness yep. with which we think about this entire passage. It's, it's very reductionistic. If God, no, the entire weight of sin and the world was placed upon him so that we might be justified before him. That is, the, that is the context of that phrase, that flourish at the end. That actually, you know, it's, it sounds good enough on its face already. It sounds encouraging and inspirational on its face as it is. When you, when you, figure, in, when you figure in what Todd just talked about, that adds even more weight and gravitas to the entire passage, into that phrase. Well said. All right, Todd, I believe you're up, brother. All right, Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And as you know, this is the tail end of the Beatitudes. And for, for me, and I think it's probably the same for Steve, I'd be, I'm really interested in Aaron's take on this uniquely different from ours, but I think for the way Steve and I in particularly are wired, I, the, the Beatitudes walking through those and it, it, it's still to this day, depending on the day, the time, what I've dealt with, uh, it's, it's a, it can be a fog for me personally. Mm -hmm. Like Steve's talked about what meekness means. I mean, it's like, really, you're really having a hard time getting through that because it does seem, and these have, it, it does seem like the, the nicer, like, it seems like Jesus is being nicer than Jesus in this moment. <laughs> Uh, 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 based, reflecting on everything that's come Old Testament, and then you get to the end, and it all clicks into place. B 
because he, th- this is like, I, I just told you in conflict and, and Steve, it's like, when you understand that all of creation groans, you know, you can't, you can't wish your way out of illness. You, you, you can't wish your way out of uh, death here on this mortal coil, all creation. We want to still, we, we want to think we're smarter than that more than ever in this day as age. And here, you won't, and a lot of modern Christians think the same thing. J- just be nice. Just be nice. Just be nice. And here at the end, said, he, what he's telling you is you're going to be nice. You're going to be a peacemaker. You're going to do all these things, and I command you to do them. And there's no out clause for that. But, and this is a gift. Teddy tells us this. It is a pure gift. To me, I'm I, I'm like, hallelujah here at the end. They're still going to hate you for it. And that goes right to what Steve was talking about with all creation groans. There's a, This thing called faith is not a Hallmark card. It is, it is war hmm. against all the principalities and the powers. And to know that is why that statement, the flourish, the statement at the end of your Steve is so powerful, why it's everything. But if he's for us, who can be against? But just know, he's not, Jesus never lies to you. He tells you exactly what you're getting into with all this. Exactly. Because he's a good father. Because he's a good brother. He's honest. Honest way more than any of us want. Trust me, a lot of us right here in the church, we, we want a lie as much as anything else. We put this thing on the shelf, dust it off, makes us look and feel pretty and all this stuff, but we're still, we're still lying to ourselves all the time. He's brutally honest. Brutally so. And that's a gift. Also, uh, appreciate our friends over at Bonner Private Wines. I know Todd appreciates them quite often. Uh, as a matter of fact, you've heard me talking about these amazing extreme altitude wines from Malbec grapes grown at 9,000 feet deep in the Andes Mountains by f- uh, families that are on their second century of doing this the old fashioned, not the uh, new factory way of uh, winemaking. Outstanding red wines. And they've made their traditional offer even better. Um, You'll get um, an exclusive small batch limited production wine from their exclusive wine cellar on top of your choice of the three variations of their red wine that you want. Four bottles for the price of three at 50% off. Four bottles for the price of three at 50% off. You might be saying, oh man, what's the freight on that? Well, how about if the shipping was free too? Shipping is free, too, for imported wine. You can't beat it, folks. It's a great deal. These are great wines. Uh, B-O-N-N-E-R, B as in boy. B-O-N-N-E-R, BonnerPrivateWines.com slash Steve. What I, what I find fascinating about the point you just made, if I could take it even, go, expand go. on it, is this part at the end. It's almost, and, and I don't know if it's intentional or not, but it's it's like idolatry insurance like you can turn your tone mm-hmm. or your method into an idol and they won't reject me they won't apartheid right. me they won't sectarian me they won't crucify me upside down they won't cut my head off um they won't put me in a vat of boiling oil if i if you i say it, it nice it, they won't do those sorts of things right and so this this is the one of the challenge, a challenge I think we all have is if you have a more nurturing, empathetic persona, you have a tendency to gravitate towards the portions of, of God's character and revelation that highlights the, 
highlights that methodology and then that sort of affirms your persona. Hence Aaron's joke about Jeremiah. Yes. If you are more confrontational or provoking in nature, um, you may gravitate to the portions of scripture that highlight that accordingly, as I will later on. Smite them! In this exercise, an entire chapter of it, I couldn't get enough. I kept trying to, how do I narrow this down? And then I realized, we're not. We're going to do the whole cotton-picking chapter, okay? But understand, you know, it's, it's the classic question in seminary. Is God imminent or transcendent? And the answer is yes. God is God. We are not. It is difficult for us to be both provocative and empathetic, both confrontational and merciful. You know who it is not difficult for? Him. I mean, he, the, 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 the individual saying this is the hyperstatic union incarnate. He is fully God and fully man, and he is both of them simultaneously. He is drawing power from uh, himself at the same time he's denying himself as that power and living in a mortal coil. Now, this becomes difficult for us. This is why. This is why we need a body. Somebody's the arm. Somebody's the hand. Somebody's the ear. Somebody's Mm -hmm. the mouth. Some of us are better listeners. Some of us are better exhorters, right? And I think this is where we need to not fall into the trap of affirm my disposition. If if we were alive at other eras of the church in the West, we would have, I, I just can speak for myself because I'm just a natural contrarian. I would have been concerned about, this sounds a lot, sounds pretty judgy, actually. Uh, you know, lighten up. In another era, I might have been the lighten up Francis guy, okay? But in this era, we don't have. We went from lighten up Francis to lighten the loafers, brother. It's the charge of the lighten the loafers brigade in our pulpits. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And we're just affirming people's rationalizations all the live long day. This is the time where you know maybe we need a little bit more provocativeness. And so hereafter, Christ has 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 reset to its original disposition, an understanding of what it means to love my neighbor as I love myself through the law. He closes it though. With an exaltation here. Oh, yes, you're still going to face persecution. There is no, you cannot turn your cheek enough, as I will soon demonstrate here on the cross. Mm -hmm. You cannot turn your cheek enough to escape persecution, confrontation. So get comfortable, basically. Being uncomfortable is what he is saying here at the end. And so um, I, I think that that Aaron provides us a little insurance against our own inclination, there's it, it's blessed are the peacemakers and the Beatitudes, not the peace lovers. Mm-hmm. You know, God is love. Love is not God. All right? The idea that we define what peace and love is, and that's defined by affirming a creation that totally groans with sin, that is not what Christ is talking about here. Exactly. And this is um, like many truths within scriptures. Uh it's difficult to remember that that ultimately we want to see justice accomplished now, or at least within our lifetimes, but most of all now. And it's difficult for us to remember, I think, that our reward is in heaven. That is by very definition a little bit later. And that's that's a difficult thing to remember. Um, and, and that's um, that's one part of that uh, passage that I appreciate. Moving on. My verse, my first selected verse, is Job 38.3. 
This is God speaking to Job. Brace yourself like a man. Gird your loins as a man, is another translation. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Now, aside from the fact that God telling a man to gird himself, to basically man up, that, that's pretty cool. The actual context of this, Job, as you know, if you're familiar with scriptures, Job, think Bill Gates of, uh, of antiquity. Bill Gates of antiquity, except he actually believes in the God of the universe and is righteous. And then he has everything taken away from him, including his health. And Job proceeds to bargain and argue and want to make his case before God. And God, to his surprise, actually, okay, have it your way, Burger King. And that's what he's answering here. And a couple of chapters later, Job, surprised that God actually, you know, took up on his offer to argue with him, says, I'm vile, I'm unclean, I'll put my hand over my mouth so I don't speak anymore and look like a fool. He was confident, and Job was one of the most righteous men on the face of the planet, as we have to wrap up this, uh, this segment here in just a little bit. One of the most righteous people on the planet, and I will continue my thoughts after this because there's no possible way that I can continue this right now, Steve. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We will continue this then uh, when we come back here at with, with our most inspirational scriptures in a moment. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network. here, which means it is time to tell you yet again about our good friends over at Taiga Coolers, the veteran-owned cooler company made right here in the U.S. of A. They employ actual Americans, unlike any most of the other cooler companies who also uh, make their products in China. Uh, their price is also less than other premium cooler brands as well. Most importantly, they're even in stock. No supply chain issues there. You can choose the lid, base colors, create your own design, add any image to it. That's right. They will customize it for you. It's really cool, right? Yeah, very. Very cool. I mean, you got an Iowa one, you got a Wisconsin one, I got a Michigan one. Absolutely top notch. Great gifts uh, for your family, friends, your clients. Enter the promo code Steve for a 10% discount when you go to tigacoolers.com. T-A-I-G-A. T-A-I-G-A, tigacoolers.com, 10% off for a discount when you use the promo code Steve at tigacoolers.com. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show here on a special evergreen edition, our most inspirational scriptures. Aaron, we ran short on time with you in segment one. Let's reset your first choice and let you break it down for us. Oh, my, uh, my first choice, Job 38.3. Gird your loins as a man, I will question you and you shall answer me. This is God speaking to Job, a, a, an incredibly rich man who God had blessed spiritually and physically as well. 
I likened him to uh, a Bill Gates of, an, of antiquity, just with actual, you know, uh, faith in God and uh, some righteousness to go along with that. And Job is, uh, once he has all of that taken away from him, including his health, starts to bargain and wants to argue with God and, and plead his case. And God, surprisingly, takes him up on that. And that's where God says, brace yourself. Let's hear your case. Brace yourself like a man. Gird your loins like a man. I'll question you and you shall answer me. Job had, in the midst of his turmoil, in the midst of his affliction, which um, was directly from Satan, in the midst of his affliction, even he felt confident enough in his righteousness, in his case, to approach God. And as soon as God shone the light on him, just a couple of chapters later, Job is like, uh, I, I changed my mind here a little bit. Now, how is this inspirational and inspiring? I, I don't think any of us really necessarily can hold a candle to Job and his life in, in any measurable way whatsoever. And even he, once he was, once God shone his glory upon him, really, and said, hey, let's hear your case. Even he shrunk back and said, I, I changed my mind here. There are many times in the dark nights of the soul, which is a, a phrase for uh, affliction, whether it's spiritual or otherwise, we, where we are tempted to bargain and argue with, with God. And even Job, who by our estimation, by any man's estimation, probably had more of a leg to stand on to stand up to God. Even he's like, I, I changed my mind. I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want any of this action. That's encouraging to me. Because I'm nowhere close to Job's righteousness, not that it's a game of comparisons. But if even he was like, I don't want any part of that, I'm encouraged that whatever this is that I'm going through, a dark night of the soul or otherwise, no matter what I'm going through, um, I still know God in his glory is bigger than all of that. Because if he was bigger than Job's issues, he's definitely going to be able to envelop mine. The other thing I like about this section as well is God enter, allows, uh, entertains humanities request for a discussion mm -hmm. and debate and then absolutely just destroys it. Yep. You hear so many people say, I don't want to believe in a God that would, I mean, so I, who cares? I mean, so are you God? I mean, by you determining what you do or do not think is justifiable for how, for God to behave or not, vis-a-vis -vis makes you think you're what? God. I mean, the arrogance we have as a species to believe that we somehow have standing to call God into account. I wonder where that comes from, that whole you think you're God thing. What do you think, Aaron, or Todd? What do you think of what Aaron picked? You know, funny, I just uh, about a week ago had a conversation with my oldest uh, daughter, um, Ainsley, about this uh needed a girl who you know everything was coming up roses uh suddenly uh wasn't not in any crucial 
ways, but uh, it, it, it was just getting a little harder. And I said, listen, you, uh, the, the book of Job ultimately, to, to gird your loins, your air, uh, ultimately applies to you as well. When, when you know that you have been so blessed. And she says, she said as much about like, I, I could feel him, you know, all the time. And, and I just felt like it had no doubts. And I said, when, when that removes itself, understand the book of Job. You, you know, you, God is willing to play this game, entertain this bargain, because again, he's God and you're not. And he knows the stakes. Are, if he is relied upon as the anchor, he knows what the stakes are and he knows the outcomes are good for you even through those trials. He's seen you, like Job, survive in the sunlight. He wants to know if you still reach out to him in the darkness because <laughs> it conquers all faith. And so that, that, uh, that question and answer when you when you real you're still calling out to him you're not rejecting him there's there's an uh, there's a there's a chaotic beauty in the book of job because he's being confronted by his friends and they're telling him to give up faith he's stubborn with them mm-hmm. but with that and he goes back to god he's like what the hell god what the hell's going on well god's not afraid of that conversation that's a deep conversation and one that god understands way more than you do so follow him along on it Trust him on it. You're not supposed to have all the answers. Mother Teresa, at the end of her life, her diaries were discovered. She had so many questions, so much darkness, but she always clung to her Lord. And that's the point of all this. Well done. All right, I'm up next. Let's go to Luke. So Luke is a physician. He is a contemporary of Paul's. He is tasked with coming up with sort of, uh, his, well, a gospel. It wasn't necessarily known that at the time, but as a man of science, Luke is going to look at this a little bit more meticulously than just um, Mark, who we believe took a lot of his experiences from St. Peter, for example, uh, or Matthew, who had his own recollections as one of the apostles. Luke is now looking at this as a non-Jew as well. He is looking at this from a more scientific, at least as an investigative lens, as he writes both his own gospel and Acts. And in the fourth chapter, in verse verses 16 through 21, Luke takes us to Jesus's first public ministry appearance. Christ has now come out of his testing and preparation in the desert where he was tempted by the devil and withstood. And now he is ready to step into his full messiahship. And Luke writes, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit. See, now that he has faced temptation, now that he has passed his trials, he's now fully anointed as Messiah. News about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, so his hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was custom. So Jesus would have been about 30 here. Lifespan at this point in time was mid to upper 50s. So a lot of times, by the time you're 30, you're almost of an elder status within a community. You're certainly, in a, in a Jewish community, married with kids, and a lot of them by 30. So he's single, also had this kind of questionable timeline of when his parents got married and when he was born that kind of was a little scandalous. 
But as now of an age of eldership, he is now qualified to read the scriptures at synagogue. As we continue the story. He stood up to read. Now notice it doesn't tell us what verses he was, he was asked to read. He was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. If you know, this is one of the longest books in the Bible. One of the longest. So we, it, it does not say here that he was, today's scripture reading is Isaiah so-and-so. We don't know that. So it's entirely possible that he chose himself which portions of the book of Isaiah he would read. Especially when you read what happens next. Unrolling it, Christ found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. This is Isaiah 61, by the way. And recovery of sight for the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Isaiah 61 is, is, about, is a prophecy of the Messiah. What the ministry of the coming Messiah will look like. That's what Isaiah is prophesying in Isaiah 61. One of the reasons why a lot of the, the religious Christmas stuff you buy every year has quotes from Isaiah is because it's full of messianic prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. And in this, Jesus grabs the scroll, finds one of the most specifically messianic prophetic works of this entire book, and reads it with authority. And then he rolls up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue, because remember, he's coming in here with a reputation. He's already done some things that has drawn some attention. They hand him the scroll of Isaiah. He goes to Isaiah 61 and reads it with authority, almost like it's in the first person. In, in Zeffirelli's Jesus of Nazareth from the late 70s, the depiction of this scene is cash money, homie. I mean, the way this scene is depicted is phenomenal. And so now there's whispering and murmuring and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue is fastened to him. And he began by saying to them, and I love this, today, this scripture is fulfilled among you. It is fulfilled in your hearing. This is one of the few times prior to when he's brought before the council that he offers up his messiahship in a corporate setting. And he does it in his hometown, right in the middle of synagogue. And in response to their murmuring and whispering and I can't evens, he doubles down and says, today, yeah, I, I meant it. Today, this is fulfilled among you. I'm the one you've been waiting for. And the boldness of this I just find it very inspiring and there's a boldness here 
that, that we, too many of us lack. And it's why we're on the defensive too often. And it's not a boldness that comes from arrogance or I'm some kind of a badass. It comes from a confidence in knowing his true identity and purpose. And for us as believers, we can have that confidence too if we truly believe in our identity and our purpose. In fact, let me make a finer point on that. If we truly believe in the one who gave us our identity and our purpose. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Yeah, uh, you you all need to know when your moment comes, uh, big or small. And the Lord didn't treat every single moment the same. But, but these moments when he was dealing uh, with uh, the Pharisees or the scribes, uh, as often as not, you know, it, it was go time. And uh, there's a great scene in uh, a John Grisham book-turned-movie uh, that starred uh, uh, Matt Damon, the Rainmaker. I've mentioned on the show before, it's been a while, but Matt Damon's a young attorney, uh, and he's just getting the tar beat out of him by the rich experienced attorney. This is a trope that's been done before. Um, and finally Matt Damon realized I I'm sick of this and I need to turn the tide somehow. And at the very least I'm going to tell him I know something that he doesn't know or doesn't want to admit. And he just looks at him in the eye and says, do you even remember when you first sold out? And instantly the other guy on the side, other side knows there's an adversary there, a real adversary there. And he had underestimated him. And there's moments like that for everybody. The Lord has empowered you. There's the, you're going to enter in a room and something is need to be said or done. And if not you, who? Hmm. Yeah, I think something that's that's missed in this passage is, uh, and missed a lot in, in our Western cult, uh, churches, is, um, is the boldness of Christ. And, and this is just one of many examples of that all throughout the Gospels. Just like a boss coming in, dropping bombs, um, the boldness is is not always akin to bombast. Yes. Jesus Jesus didn't go into the synagogue and said, "F Pilate, F Caesar, all y'all." No, he just spoke the truth. Boldness is doing and saying what needs to be done when it needs to be done and said. Bombast, maybe you're saying the right things at the wrong time or the wrong way. But I think the boldness of Christ here is something that's often overlooked. I like that distinction. It's also fairly convicting because I'm a big fan, in case you guys hadn't known. I'm a big fan of bombast. <laughs> I kind of like it. Bombast is kind of my jam. Um, but um, just as we talked earlier about Matthew 5, what you shared, Todd, and you can't let your niceness or uh-huh. your um, your gentleness or kindness become an idol— because even if you're as nice, gentle, and kind as I'm often not, they'll still end up hating you for telling them sure. the truth and by any method. I've got to make sure I don't let bombacity mm-hmm. become my own for idol, sure. right? So thank you for that convicting point, Aaron. Appreciate it. We'll come back. More of our most inspirational scriptures in hour two next. Listening to Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.
lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Day Show. Back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here on a special evergreen edition. Our most inspirational scriptures chosen by yours truly. Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. That's right. The Catholic actually has Bible verses he wishes to share as well. I had to do it at least once. Nice. Or I was going to lose my evangelicals <laughs> card. Nice. I didn't, didn't do it once. Okay. See, I was thinking about. Um, I was thinking about actually writing Todd's uh, selections in Latin, <laughs> choosing like the uh, apocryphal books <laughs> of Todd's favorite Bible verses. Just complete the the Catholic trolling while we're at it. <laughs> now, dude, last hour you had a masterful troll of evangelical I, subculture. I, by I just, almost did that. Just doing actually. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven once. If you had done that, or. <laughs> Just, I'm choosing all apocryphal verses. It's in Latin, Todd. Good luck. That would have been, that would have been a phenomenal masterful troll, would it have not? That's, that is a, that would have been phenomenal trolling. Okay. Phenomenal. Start, he may have been starting to worry about whether his salvation was intact if he manipulated this whole thing like that. What am I going to do with the whole Bible first thing? Um, Troll it. Yes. That's a good point. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there needs to be some limits to your trolling. Yes. And, and are you really trolling us or are you trolling somebody else? Sure. Right? I hear you. I hear you. All right. So let us know what you think uh, via the stevedace.com inbox. You can email us, steve at stevedace.com. That's D E A C E. Um, I'm not really sure by the time you watch this what social media platforms will exist, which ones will be on. I, I don't know if we'll all be blue or red check marked on Trump's uh, platform, Cuck, yet. Right? I don't know. Who knows whether that'll happen or not. I mean, Trump might even be president yeah. again by the time y'all sure. watch this. We don't know. Okay, but uh, this is meant to be an inspirational evergreen of looking at our most inspirational Bible verses. And of course, uh, we would love it too. If you'd leave us a five-star review, um, if you're a podcast listener, hit subscribe or follow So many of you have done that and have really helped our show to grow, and we appreciate that. And want to welcome back to the show our good friends over at Freedom Project Academy. If you are looking for an institute that has perfected online learning, offering live, on-demand, and homeschool courses K-12, through built on Judeo-Christian values with a classic curriculum dedicated to the mastery of subject matter and teaching kids how to think, not what to think, if that sounds like the oasis that you are looking for. I've got personal experience with this. My son was enrolled here for a few years. Um, I saw what they were able to do. I also know the people that founded the school. So I, I really believe in their mission and the quality of how they go about fulfilling it as well. All right. So if you want to get a free information pack or you want to sign up, just go to freedom for F O R the preposition, not the number freedom for school.com save 10% on tuition. If you enroll today, Save 10% on tuition if you enroll today. Take back control of your kids' education right now at freedomforschool.com. At the very least, go there and request their free information packet at freedomforschool.com. So we're going through our each of our uh, favorite, most inspirational Bible verses. I've selected four. Todd and Aaron have selected three apiece. I believe we're halfway at the halfway home, halfway number right now, right? Halfway home. So number five, Todd, you're up. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I've always 
found that first part before the comma, for I am not ashamed, pregnant uh, with all kinds of meaning. Because this is Romans, and as Steve just uh, showed in Romans 8, uh, this is as deep as it gets. This is professorial. Uh, you need to put your thinking caps on. Uh, you, you aren't meant simply to be swooning. As Steve says, it toggles back and forth between who it's challenging and what. So do you, you, you think with one chapter, oh, man, I got this, and then the next one, you're just... Psh, psh. And, and uh, it's this. I've come to understand that, for I'm not ashamed... Hey, it implies that there's clearly a lot of Christians that are, and boy, isn't that true in our own time. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, what do you think about it? Eh, that's kind of... Uh, I'm not one of those Christians. And somebody on Twitter said something, put it really well, nothing new, nothing we haven't talked before, but it doesn't really matter what you think sounds weird or difficult or odd or complex. If it's true, it's true. And therefore, that's actually the easy way. Everything else, even though it seems easy, it's purposeless at best. And it leads you, uh, leads you on the uh, road to hell at worst. And so right there, he's giving you a cheat code. I'm not ashamed of it. It doesn't matter if you're uh, smart like me, talented, everything I'm about to write. And I, I'm, I'm pretty capable uh, in my own uh, abilities. Otherwise, I wouldn't even be attempting this. I think I'm called. I know I'm called by God to do this. All that. But it, no matter who you are, what it is. The first important thing, no matter what you're going to do, whether it's about your smarts or just through the action, don't be ashamed. Because once you start to be ashamed and start pulling your punches on this thing called faith, then it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how meek you are. It doesn't matter how bombastic you are. One thing, sooner or later, and we were kind of, we, we're, we're hitting a lot of the same themes, which is absolutely appropriate. Sooner or later, you're going to turn those things into an idol of either your own destruction or, quite frankly, everybody else's. This thing called the gospel uh, is airtight. I am the alpha and the omega. Take it in full. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. If you're sensing that in yourself, that somehow you've got a different cheat code than that, that is bound sooner or later to take you to a very dark place. Hmm. That's a pretty good contrast with my the one I chose. Now, now we did not no. compare notes on what we each chose. Mm-hmm. I submitted my list up front just because I wanted to make sure since I was doing the majority, the most doing more than you two, mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to make sure we didn't have duplicates, but I had no idea what you guys were going to choose until or choose until we sit down right here to do this evergreen. And that is an excellent compliment to the verse in Luke chapter four that I just discussed last hour with Christ coming out of the wilderness and mm-hmm. proclaiming himself Messiah at the synagogue. Mm-hmm. Because what you see there is he is not ashamed of the, of the, the calling he has received as Messiah. And how much of our lack how much of our lack of boldness comes from we are a little bit of a ashamed, a little bit ashamed of what we believe mm-hmm. if we weren't ashamed if if we were not ashamed at all we yeah. would be bolder yeah. right yeah this i think this i it under i it's never stopped and i was almost like it doesn't seem like it's that profound 
a statement, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's just it it if if he doesn't say this out of the gate, I mean he's telling you, listen, I I can be made an idol of, and he does that in other ways actually. When he tell when he's like stop you know stop this Paul and Apollo stuff and all this, it's Christ, it's Christ, it's Christ, it's Christ. So you you you're gonna come up with excuses. I know you are, because I did. It the, the sh- being ashamed of the greatest story ever told is is something that's going to happen it's for it's for it's foretold but it's also foretold uh that it's that it's an end game you can, there you're rewriting the greatest story ever told in your shame inevitably you will do that um and this is this is a way before all of the unbelievable thinking that comes on because this comes right out of the gate of the first what what is it 18 how, how many chapters in Romans off I don't know off the top of my head uh, I think it's 17 or 18 yeah. I want to yeah. say 16 16 yeah. okay it's um if you he he's he's not starting off being super smart he's starting off being super humble which is why his super smarts ultimately can serve god this is an excellent point not ashamed of the gospel if he were ashamed on any level of the gospel, the Apostle Paul, on any level, mm-hmm. to any degree, two verses later, for the wrath of God is revealed against... Yeah. He wouldn't have been able to write that. That's the kind of boldness that is, that is born out of a lack of ashamedness for what we believe. But it can only happen when we are clear when our minds are clear and our, our souls are are clear of any any level of ashamedness, meaning, um, you know, this this is this is who I am. This is what I believe, and this is true. Again, some of the same themes that we've been hitting upon. My verse, Habakkuk one five. Nice. Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Of course, this passage, what this is talking about is is God is telling the author, who's asking him, why aren't you punishing the wicked of my time? What are you doing? And God responds to the author and says, you know what? It's time for some up with people. Things are just going to get really, really good here, really fast. Everything will be restored to human definitions of, of good and plenty. And everything's just going to be okay. Y'all are going to be reciting Jeremiah 29, 11 in your sleep at night. <laughs> nope. Nope. That's not what this is talking about at all. God goes on to say, look at the Chaldeans over here. Look at them sweeping across lands, taking over land, lands, they take over f- towns with their horses faster than, uh, than leopards or cheetahs. I can't remember which cat it is that's referenced. Look at how they're due. I'm preparing them. I'm preparing them. Of course, who were the Chaldeans? Another word for the Babylonians. God was going to accomplish justice. He's answering his question. I am going to bring the people you're complaining about to justice. It just so happens that it was going to be at the hands of the Babylonians, eventually. 
Why is this encouraging to me again? God will not be mocked. This, this verse, this entire book, actually, it's an easy read. I would encourage you to read it. It's a, it's a case study on, on God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Even when it seems, even when it seems in our world, and, and Lord knows over the last few years, it seemed, when will these people be brought to justice? God will bring them to justice, maybe even in our lifetimes. Unfortunately, as with the Babylonians, there might be a lot of collateral damage along with that. If we are truly, though, people of of God, if we truly do believe in the gospel, what should be good enough, though, for us is knowing that even even if we're part of the collateral damage here, We know our futures are secure. We get to see God accomplish justice, maybe in our lifetimes, but we know it's going to come in the next if it's not done in this one. That, to me, is encouraging. In a little bit of a dubious, in a little bit of a, uh, I hope it doesn't come to that type of way, we can expect to see God work out his justice some way, somehow, sometimes even in our lifetimes. That's well done. I don't have much to add to that. I mean, I, I... other than feeling the last few years that I've, I've witnessed events that have just never happened collectively in this world at any particular point in time. And so wondering, am I experiencing one of those moments that, that God says to Habakkuk right now? You know, have, I, have we been living through that the last few years? But that was very well said, Aaron. Todd? I, it's funny. It's, I got the joy uh out of uh the same joy out of you reading that knowing that there's a weight involved that you expertly laid out there but I, i've said i've said it pretty recently on the sh- uh or uh on the show on the um the lion the witch in the wardrobe which the movie which is closed so brilliantly like what were you doing in the wardrobe well you wouldn't believe me if i told you sir well try me you know that's that's the, that's what this faith is all about and it, this is tied to what I just got done saying about uh, uh, with, with my choice uh, from uh, Romans, be not ashamed. Like, try me. Try, try it all. Try, walking out there on faith that my ways are not your ways. Uh, that I, if you have eyes to see, it's because I gave you to them. Try me. Trust that when I say justice will come, justice will come. Hmm. All right. I'm up. Number seven. Here we go. Nehemiah 13. The whole glorious chapter. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. And there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite. All right. So the Moabites are the descendants of Lot, who got drunk after what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. His daughters got him drunk so they could have sex with him to create children. They were banished from the assembly. Okay? So that's who the Moabites are. Should ever be admitted into the assembly of God because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Balaam is like a, um, uh, not a prophet. Um, He's a mystic that can pronounce curses. He was an occultist. God actually uses him in the Old Testament to actually 
start um, preaching and and uh, according to his word in defiance of what he was hired to do, which was to curse the Israelites. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. So, so much for open borders. Uh, before this, Eliashib. Now, I, I learned a long time ago when you come to these ancient Hebrew words, just say them fast, confidently, and people will think that's how it's pro- pronounced. I don't know that's how it's pronounced. I'm just saying it fast and confidently. Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of our house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah. Now, who is Tobiah? If you know the book of Nehemiah, Sanballat, Nehemiah is called by God to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem after the judgment. As he's doing so, with a, with a Torah in one hand and a sword in the other, literally, a Bible in one hand and a sword in the other, he is frequently confronted by two individuals called Sanballat and Tobiah. And they are basically just there to jack with him. And try to stop him from doing this. And the moral of the story is anytime you are ever called to do something unique for God, to blaze a trail for God, understand somebody, some version of Sanballat and Tobiah will show up to jack with you, right? And so that's who this is a reference to by Nehemiah, all right? All right, so he was closely associated with Tobiah, the heretic, And he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. In other words, they are granting quarter to this heretic in the places where the sanctified are supposed to be stored and to worship. Okay? This is, uh, nah, hell no. Okay? And Nehemiah is going to say that here in a few minutes. But while this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. He had returned. He had fulfilled his initial mission. He goes back to Susa, to Babylon, to serve Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon. So he had returned to fulfill his vow. He let him go in order to rebuild the walls, and now he's back to finish his commission. Sometime later, I asked his permission after he had heard that they basically had ruined all of his reforms. And I came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased. This is the equivalent of allowing, um, you know, some occultist or Christ-denying Muslim to live at the rectory at the parish. That's basically what's going on here. Fair analogy? Okay. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. That's not very nice. I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipments for the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, meaning the the priests have got to be paid. They've got to be supported. And that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields, meaning since they weren't being compensated, they just left and went back to work like they weren't actually called to, to, to ministry. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All Judah, meaning the entire country, brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil into the storerooms. I put Shemaliah, the priest, Zadok, the scribe, and a Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms. And I made Hanan, son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, their assistant, because they were considered trustworthy. Not because they were nice, polite, trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites or priests. 
remember me for this. So now stop here. He's, he's rebuked. He's thrown out, tossed out, evicted. Evicted heretics, thrown their goods out, rebuked people for not fulfilling their vows. And then he goes to this. Remember me for this, my God. I love it. And do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Continuing on. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath, so working, and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys, together with wine, grapes, figs, and other and all other kinds of loads. I mean, this, is, this isn't some meticulous, well, if my donkey falls in a ditch. No, they're doing flat-out commerce. This is not the kind of stuff that Jesus was saying, hey, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. They're disregarding the moral of this, the, the, the spirit of it. They're flat-out conducting commerce on the Sabbath like it was any other business day. So this isn't some sort of pharisaical meticulousness. This is flat-out disobedience of a commandment, okay? So they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath to sell it. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise. So now pagans are coming in to take advantage of the commerce on the Sabbath as well, all right? Selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah, I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Meaning you're doing the sorts of things that got us evicted from here, that got us judged by God. Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. This is like a straight up military operation now. Okay. Once or twice, the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem just to kind of test this. But I warned them and said, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this, I will arrest you so much for defund the police. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Then we go to this card again. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. These are all pagan enemies of Israel. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, or the language of one of the other peoples, and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. They had lost their legacy, heritage as a people. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. To cut this off right now. We will not pass this on to another generation. Continuing. Was it not because of marriages like these that the Solomon, that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? By the time Solomon died, the temple he had built the Lord, he had built twice as big a temples to the pagan gods of his wives. That's what Nehemiah is referring to. Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by pagan foreign women. Must we hear now that you two are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by also marrying outside of the religion? One of the sons of Joiada, son of Eliashib, 
the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat, the Horonite. That's the names again, Sanballat and Tobiah, I told you earlier. And I drove him away from me. Remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood of the Levites. So before, remember me for the good I did. Remember them for the evil that they did. So I purified the priest and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties, each to his own task. I also made provision for contributions of wood at designated times and for the first fruits or the tithes. Remember me with favor, my God. That chapter. I mean, wow. That dude, Nehemiah. You want bold? He was it. He enforced God's law, and I, I, I use the term enforced on purpose. It's a verb in Nehemiah's case. And understand that he had already shown the people, shown them the people. This is very much Christological. The first time Jesus comes, it's in humility, right? As a baby born in a manger. The first time Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem. It is to rebuild the walls. He has explicit permission from from Artaxerxes to come from Babylon to do so. All right? And so he's on a mission of mercy. God is allowing his people now to return from being dispersed around all over the all over the empire to return now to their home and sends with him Ezra the the priest in order to to consecrate them and the temple. The second time Christ returns It is when a robe dipped in blood and a sword in his mouth to separate sheep from goats. The second time Nehemiah comes back, he's not just going to tell Sanballat and Tobiah, I don't have time to come down from this wall. I am doing a very important thing. That's what he says the first time he comes back. The second time he comes back, he throws their ass out and their goods and belongings. And he practices corporal punishment against those who allowed this place to fall back into desecration after he had just consecrated it. So there's a sort of Christological pattern here. The first time is an introduction of, of a mission of mercy. The next time is the master is here to settle some accounts. You guys have any thoughts? Yeah, this, uh, I can't the first time you read this, I wish I, there was a recording of that. Like you, you probably didn't care what was in the rest of the Bible after reading this. Like, I'm in. I'm, I'm good. This is yes. uh, this is home. All right. Uh, but uh, it's a. It, this should be called like the art of manhood. There's, as a husband, as a father, and as someone taking on uh, great and important tasks, relatively speaking, within your sphere. So you, you don't have to be this way all the time. There's some of us that can be more meek and mild than others. All, all fine. But all Christian men need to have some Nehemiah at in some point when the time yep. is right. Yep. With without question, it's non-negotiable. And I want to welcome our new friends at Magic Spoon. It's the high protein cereal that power that powers your days. Um, they you can get the variety pack: four flavors: cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. Uh, this pack has zero grams of sugar, thirteen to fourteen grams of protein, four to five net grams of carbs per serving, only one hundred and forty calories, high protein, so high protein, no sugar. Keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free. I sampled it yesterday and decided, let's go a little Reese's peanut butter cup and move and mix the chocolate and peanut butter together. And I got to tell you, you know, 
I was surprised at how good it was, particularly the peanut butter flavor. I mean, it was really good. But if you want your next delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at Magic Spoon, go to magicspoon.com slash dace, D-E-A-C-E. Use the code dace for $5 off the variety pack. That's magicspoon.com slash dace. And use the promo code DACE to save $5 off the variety pack at magicspoon.com slash DACE. I think it's the parable of, uh, this is almost akin to the parable of, of the talents. You, you have to have that boldness within you that Nehemiah showed. But it's not really within you. It, it's coming through you. You have to be willing to let the Lord work through you. That type of fortitude and will didn't come from Nehemiah himself. No. It was the Lord working through him. Mm-hmm. We're actually the ones who get in our own way the most in not having the Nehemiah within you, you know, in that sense. We just have to get out of the way. I mean, the, the, the voice, the, the still small voice within you, the Holy Spirit guiding you, those things are enough if we just get out of the way. And let God work through us. And that's, that's as big of a message in, in this entire chapter, I think, as anything. Indeed. And I really love what you just said a minute ago. No matter your disposition, at some point, any man, any Christian man has to have a Nehemiah 13 in him at some point. Because at some point in this, in this fallen world, it will call for it, Right. Three more to go. We will unveil those when we come back. The truth. Straight. No chaser. Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network. We all deal with pain from time to time, and there's two kinds of pain when it comes to physical pain. Clinical, if that's the case, then of course, make sure you're getting good professional medical care, or chronic, and a lot of times that chronic pain that lingers uh, is a result of too much inflammation in your body, and it can go from annoyance to just you know taking the joy out of things, making you feel like you just can't do the stuff that you used to enjoy doing when you were maybe younger, healthier. And that's why you want to talk to our friends over at Relief Factor. It's not a drug. But it is a formula that was created by physicians who can prescribe drugs. It helps you to fight back against the inflammation in your in your in your body, particularly in your joints. Uh, You start for just a three week trial. See if you don't see a difference in three weeks or less for just 20 bucks. That's it. What do you have to lose for 20 bucks? And then you'll likely find out why about 70% of the people who start it end up sticking with it because of the results that they saw. If you want to see if you'll get similar results, go to relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com or call them at 804. That's the number four, 800, the number four relief, 800 for relief. Back one final time on this special evergreen edition of the Steve Day Show, our most inspirational scriptures. It's Steve Dace, Totters and Aaron McIntyre. We have three more to go. So you're going to hear once more from each of us. And Todd, you get to go next. Amos 5.24. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never 
unfailing stream. That's a Martin Luther uh, King yes. uh, Jr. quote. He yes. loved this and, verse. And you yeah. love it as well. Uh, I I love this. Listen, this is, if you, I mean, Martin Luther King was a brilliant wordsmith. So he, I mean, he, real knows real. I mean, this is just fantastic writing. It, it, it's, you know, you, there's a, there's a soundtrack to that <laughs> right there. The music, you can hear it come in. Um, but here's why this is especially cool. It's because it's from Amos. He, the, the, he's not Paul. He's a shepherd. Yes. He, he's it, just to let people know in Bible times, shepherds were basically professional vagrants. Okay. Beatniks. I mean, they were considered unclean, uneducated. I mean, even in a society where most labor was blue collar, what we would call unskilled labor today, they were the unskilled of the unskilled. Mm -hmm. So comparatively, Paul, as an elite of the elite, as an attorney, as a lawyer, as as a Pharisee, the highest of education... So what you're saying is these two individuals, in terms of their their station in the social order, are on total opposite ends. Here. Oh yes, and so when when you go back to the uh, when uh, uh, the devil tempting the Lord, um, and the, uh, what the uh, Christ is making clear about his Father, you know, do not put your Lord, your God, uh, to the test, and uh, you know. This stone can be uh, 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 risen uh, if he so chooses it. This is, he's making, these aren't just like idle metaphorical flourishes he's talking about. This is is a perfect example. Amos. I'm making Amos my guy. Uh, And he's going, I'm going to take him out there and I'm going to rub your noses in it using Amos, the shepherd. And it's going to blow your mind because I'm God and you're not. And so when you're like, be not ashamed of the gospel, here's one way we're often ashamed. Uh, Well, I'm not St. Paul. I'm not Martin Luther King. I'm not, I'm not that it's, it's not my job. It's not, it's somebody else's. Uh, Then there's Amos. So if Amos was given that charge, you are without excuse. If you're called, you're called. If you're sent, you're sent. Don't make it more complicated than that. It still might be hard. It still might be hard, but it's simple. And that's the way Amos kept it. And I just like, for the same reason, you like your Nehemiah, uh, I, I like my Amos, man. He's just like... Okay, yeah, I don't, yesterday I was just, you know, telling that sheep to go over there. This time you want me to go and uh, preach God's word? Okay, you said I got this, so I got this. I just, I just dig it. Perfect. Aaron? Don't really have much more to add Neither do I. Thought he succinctly nailed it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Next, another one from me, Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. There's a lot of animals in that verse. <laughs> Sending you out like sheep among wolves. Um, 
I don't know if you've seen if you've been at a zoo or if you've seen wildlife uh, photography, videography of wolves on the prowl. Those things are scary. They are looking. They are looking for anything. They just want another hit of blood. I don't know if you've been around sheep. I know you've if you've been to a you know a handful of sermons. I'm guessing you've heard about the sheep illustration. They are the dumbest, most defenseless animals ever. There's a reason why uh, why God's people <laughs> are compared to sheep a lot, very frequently. So you've got a sheep, and you've got a ravenous wolf. That's that's what God. That's what Jesus says we are like going out, being sent out. Those who are called. So be wise as serpents, as shrewd as snakes is one, wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Why, uh, why, the, why the allusion to a serpent? That's a little weird, don't you think? After all, you know, the devil came, right, as a serpent. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really uh, an illusion. The, the reason why um, serpent is used there is because the devil is cunning and crafty. At least that's my understanding anyway. That's, it was a symbol of, of cunning and shrewdness in antiquity. That's, what not, that's, that's the level of, of shrewdness, of, of being able to make practical decisions that we are to have as believers. Being able to be cunning, but innocent at the same time. I think I'm a pretty cunning person, Steve. If I used all my cunning, all my understanding being able to run this show for my own purpose would you be uh, displeased or pleased just just for own, my own self-promotion using your banner your name only for self-promotion displeased you would be very displeased mm-hmm. but if i use it innocently to build up you to build up this program are you going to be pleased or displeased i'm going to be very pleased yeah. i think that's the meaning here yeah use your cunning not for your own purpose but for innocence to build up the name of your Savior and your God. So um, Christ goes into more details. Brother giving up brother to death. Persecution. That's the other part of this passage very quickly. None of this, no persecution that we go through, and we will go through more. None of this is a surprise to Jesus. None of, the, none, none of this should be a surprise to us either. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But it's not a surprise. There is a little bit of comfort there in that. A great example of what you're talking about is the scene between Boaz and Ruth's kinsmaker, kin, kin, kinsman redeemer in, in the book of Ruth, where the kinsman redeemer, by rights of the Mosaic law, has first rights to marry Ruth. And, but Boaz wants to marry her because he loves her. The kinsman redeemer is just looking to add an asset to his portfolio. So he presents to this kinsman redeemer... Ruth's profile. Uh, like she's, he, she comes with a mother-in-law who's a Moabitess, also wealthy. I mean, he doesn't lie, but he shrewdly presents the case in the way that the kinsman redeemer will likely reject it because it's not what he's, it doesn't serve him. And so how is Boaz and Ruth, how are they rewarded for this act, for Boaz's act of shrewdity? That leads to them eventually getting married. The son that they have ends up in the messianic line Mm -hmm. of Christ. Because ultimately, Boaz 
wasn't interested in an asset. He was interested in Ruth. He wanted to love her, to cherish her. And so that shrewdness or cunning, as you put it, is rewarded because the motivation was to serve Correct. someone else, not just yourself, right? Well said. All right, we're down for the last one, and then we'll have closing thoughts. I love the entire book of Hebrews. I love the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. But let's just go with these first two verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, now who are these witnesses? The writer of Hebrews, we're not really sure who it is. It is written in a very Paulian way. But it doesn't, the author does not identify himself as Paul like Paul does in all of his other works. There have been some thoughts that maybe Apollos wrote this, similar to how the Gospel of Mark is, is considered really Peter's record, as, as, Mark was, as it was dictated to Mark. Similarly, there's a lot of thought that Apollos wrote this emulating Paul, and so that's why it sounds very Paulian in its logic and layout, but it doesn't have Paul's signature, but we don't really know who wrote this. But the, the large, the great cloud of witnesses in the previous chapters, the author of Hebrews walks us through basically the hall of fame of faith from Abraham to now of how by faith people had accomplished great things for God by faith. And so now since we are, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have come before us, those who have lived on faith, who stood steadfast in the faith. Let us now, with them cheering us on, let us now throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, that constantly gets in our way. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. One of the things I'm praying a lot as I get older, help me, Lord, to finish my race. So many men that were on fire when they were younger get complacent when they're older. I don't want that to happen to me. I want to finish my race, right? So that's what we're talking about here. Finish the race marked before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher, or in this way of translating it, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, let's go to that phrase there, scorning its shame. The last verse in the Bible before sin enters the world, it says about Adam and Eve, they were naked in the garden and they had no what? Shame. Shame. And then once they committed sin, once what was their immediate reaction? Shame. Shame actually causes us to not seek repentance. Because we are ashamed to admit what is wrong, what we have done wrong. Shame is why we lie. It's why we lie to our parents, why our kids lie to us, why we lie to God. We're ashamed. It's why we don't seek forgiveness. What Jesus is doing now is restoring the original order. In scorning of the shame. Now I get when we say we want to... We, we are tired of a shameless culture. We want to restore a shame-based culture. I understand what we mean by that. But nowadays, nowadays, people are just completely unashamed and flaunt everything. I get what we mean by that. And, and I don't necessarily disagree with the sentiment, but just be very careful the extent with which we want to carry that. Because what we offer is the antidote to shame and shameless at the same time. But But... Shame causes us not to seek forgiveness and repentance, but to lie to ourselves 
to not admit, hey, I'm the only guy that struggles with this. I'm the only wife that struggles with this. I'm the only person that struggles with this. And so we stay isolated and then we get easier picked off. And that's why it's tied together with the sin that so easily entangles us and snares us. Why does it entangle us and snare us? Because we're ashamed of it. We keep it in the dark. We keep it hidden. And so we go back to that dark place over and over again like a dog returns to its own vomit. Instead, in, in, in the daylight, Jesus carries the cross. In the daylight, he sacrifices for us. As the light overcomes the darkness. It's in the daylight that he, the stone is rolled away and he walks out of there like a boss. And so to me, this is, I think, a, a brilliant description and an eloquent description of Christ's motivation for why he did for us what he did. And that's why I thought it would be a great place for us to close our conversation here on this special Evergreen show. So gentlemen, the floor is now yours for final thoughts. We've got about three minutes. Yeah, I, I would just say about halfway through this, the, the thought occurred to me, I can't really wait to see how much of, of a time capsule this program ends up acting like. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. Well, maybe I can. But I kind of can't wait to see what shape this world is in, this entire world is in, when this eventually airs. It could be next week, guys. Things could be really, really different next week. Could be three years from now. And things may not have changed that much. I, I do know one thing, though. There's always, there's always, um, there's always grace. There's always peace and forgiveness at the foot of the cross. That's that's the one thing that we can always come back to. Things have changed so much in the last two years. Before we started recording this show, things will change more. The one thing that remains the th- the, the same through all of this is Jesus Christ and his work uh, on the cross for us. Well, uh, racing, foot racing, it's obviously always been a thing, just as Christ used uh, parables for common understanding. Well, this is something people at all times and all places can wrap their brain around. And if you finish the race in racing, whether you win or you lose, there's there's no way that it's not painful on some level there's but christ promises that through that pain is victory we've got we we are way too comfortable in this culture we're way too afraid of pain we must be willing to suffer our lot whatever that is and we may pray that that lot be uh in proportion to that which we can handle but there's no way to simply avoid it and to be on the christian road Hmm. it is going to be fascinating to see where things are at when this eventually runs but as I said here when we began uh, this special evergreen episode almost two hours ago now something tells me that on whatever day this eventually runs it's going to seem like it was providential that it needed to be heard and seen that day And that's going to do it for today's episode. Back again next time right here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Until then, John 317.
This is Steve Dace.